What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We finally have our draft recap. Mike French has been a little bit under the weather lately with a bit of an injury, but you know what? He's a fighter, and he came in. He came on the pod today, and he gave us a full breakdown of the entire first round, giving grades teams 1 through 32. After that, he broke down the entire Giants draft. Following that, he broke down the Jets draft. After that, he went winners and losers, top three losers, top three winners of the draft completely. Probably be surprised at who his top winner is, but hey, guy knows his shit. Um, Check out the website, sorrysports.com. We have a few articles running. If you do want to write an article for sorrysports.com, email us, sorrysports at yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at sorrysports, and check out the Instagram, sorry underscore sports. Enjoy the pod. We will be back later with a Monday rundown later in the week. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Sorry to Interrupt podcast. We're here for our post-draft recap. We got Mike on the line. Frenchie, you're back, man. How are you? I'm doing all right. Back and ready to talk draft. Here I came and went. Let's see what presents were under the tree. <laughs> it was a good couple of days, man. It was well, fun. I hope you're feeling better. Um, good vibes only. Good vibes. Good energy. Good karma. You'll have to let Sean know good vibes only. I think he still hasn't gotten over that pick at six. Well, we're going to find out how you feel about that one. Yeah, we're, we're just jumping right in here. We're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. So what we want to do, uh, Frenchie, is we're going to lead off. Uh, we're just going to go one through 32. Give us our grade and kind of a quick thought on um, on every pick that was made, one through 32. A couple trades thrown in there. You were right on a good amount of your picks when you did your mock Uh watching with you following along it was pretty cool to see um and why not start with uh anywhere other than number one there was talk about maybe it not happening there was some smoke screen but it seemed like it was inevitable the arizona cardinals moved on from josh rosen very quickly cliff kingsbury's in and kyler murray is the new quarterback yeah, uh, Kingsbury's in, Kyler's the QB. We're starting right at the top if we're going grades. Uh, I gave this one an A-. minus. Um, it's a solid pick. I can't be upset with it, but there's a lot of talent left on the board. We're really not sure where Kyler goes if Cardinals trade out of it. Um, just in terms of value and the fact that they also had Rosen on the roster already, don't know if it was the biggest need, but it shows just the big turn that they're about to make uh, to – really turn this offense over to Kingsbury and to Kyler as well. Um, but my next picks, San Francisco 49ers taking Nick Bosa and Jets going Quinn and Williams, D-tackle. Both of them get A's. So congrats, Tom. Your Jets didn't mess it up. Let's go. I'm, thank uh, God. Thank Bosa God. Bosa and Williams, we got two guys in the top three that you could argue are the two best players in this draft. Two teams with big needs on the defensive side, side took the guy at the top of their board. I don't think anyone can be upset with that. No, and, and well, real quick, dude, I was going to say, you know, there was talk about the Jets, and Tom and I talked about this after the draft on our Monday rundown last week about, you know, asking him if he was happy with the fact the Jets didn't trade this pick. Quentin Williams was uh, Mel Kuyper's best player on the board. If he's there, you can't possibly pass up that talent, right? I mean, it, it's clear that the Jets didn't think so. I think Quentin's going to be a heck of a player for him. The only... Real question that might be there is the fact that now some of their top players are all just kind of overlapping at that same spot. 
when you're drafting this high, you just go best available and let the rest of it work itself out. There's no reason that they can't move on from someone else if Quentin Williams turns into an all-pro. That's priority number one, getting as much talent in there as you can. So speaking of uh, trying to go best available when you're not looking for a quarterback, we'll talk about the number Mm -hmm. four pick now with the Oakland Raiders. And I think everybody was scratching their head about this one with Cleveland Farrell going number four. How do you feel about it? Yeah, this is still the biggest shock of the draft to me, is that the Raiders taking Farrell at four. Uh, I gave this pick a B-. minus. It's just a pick where I've got a big question about the evaluation, but they went at a position of need and the highest one on their board for it. Um, Farrell comes as the leader of that Clemson defense, which we saw has been stout all year. Everyone remembers that play where he blows up Jonah Williams for Alabama in that national championship game. He's what Mayock called a three-down player, and I think that speaks to some of the concerns that they had about the other edge rushers, especially Josh Allen from Kentucky. When he says that Farrell's a three-down player, I think that points to a question that they had about Allen and some of the other edge rushers when it comes to playing against the run, and that's a legitimate concern, but I found that the pass rushing value that those other um, players brought far exceeded that which Cleveland Farrell had. He wasn't even in my top five for the position. Yeah, you had him mocked at 17 to the Giants, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah, that's where I had him going um, as, again, the best remaining of the fringe. You know, he's the only edge rusher left available in terms of where I might have had him slotted. It would have been late first, early second. It's more about the positional value putting him there. But for him to go at four, I still think is the biggest shock of the draft. Yeah, that was so Oakland, too. Like, you just knew they were going to make some kind of crazy decision, and we didn't know which route they were going to go. And then when you hear Cleveland Farrell, it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a Gruden pick right there, especially with all the Absolutely. scouts being being dismissed, you know, right before the draft, too. And you could see, once the rest of the draft shaped up, how Gruden just fell in love with the mentality that Clemson players brought. Uh, also getting Hunter Renfro and Trayvon Mullen, the corner from Clemson. Um, both of them, again, getting those Clemson players in. I think that what the Raiders draft showed you is the kind of character players that they're really looking for and also how much they're valuing some real production and a lot of W's in college. I was just going to say, especially when we get to their second first-round pick, you know, mm-hmm. they, they are prioritizing guys with winning pedigree in college and used to winning and preparing for big-time football games. So you go for high-character guys, but then you sign Vontez Perfect and get Antonio Brown. Hmm. Absolutely. And it just shows you what a disorganized franchise looks like. Very true. So at number... We have a, oh, go we ahead. Have a franchise here in the, yeah, we have a franchise here in the Oakland Raiders who want to come in with a bunch of young, high-character guys, but they're also willing to make trades for... Antonio Brown, Sian Vontez Burfitt, and the talk is to bring Richie Incognito for a tryout right now. Oh, God. And Hey, the rookies yeah. need hazing, right? Or no? It, apparently, they found a way to do it. Listen, somebody just, needs to be the bully in there when they're hazing. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, if we want to keep this moving in touch, let's just go to Tampa. This is the easiest grade for me to give. Solid A, one of the top players on my board, Devin White, linebacker, LSU, fits a need. They lost Quan Alexander. He walks right in there, best player on the defense, standout leader. Nothing wrong with this pick. Love it. And now we can finally get to Daniel Jones. Here we go. Number six, New York Giants. 
Uh, I gave this one the same evaluation that I gave the Oakland Raiders taken Farrell. I gave them a B minus with Daniel Jones. Um, again, Jones for the Shermer offense is a better fit than he is for most, but it's just a question on evaluation. I can't be upset with the mentality of you've got your QB, go take him. It's the most important position on the field, and you don't want to risk what happens later on. I heard what Gettleman said. Gettleman to me, he, you know how we talk he about He needs to shut the hell up. Like, honestly, I, I, it, all he's doing is just his talking isn't helping anybody. It's making him look worse. It seems like he has to over-explain himself instead of just standing by his conviction, which, you know, actions speak louder than words to me. So you took your quarterback. I don't care what the, you know, idea was that other teams were going to move up and get him. The point is it doesn't matter. He was your guy. You go, went and got him, right? Absolutely. We use the phrase, we want our presidents to be presidential. I want my GM to be GM-like. I want my CEOs to have that kind of aura and control, and Gettleman like doesn't me. show that. Like me. Exactly. CEO That's what we're sports. here for. Absolutely. So, the, the pick of Daniel Jones, I, the reasoning Gettleman's giving concerns me, especially when he says something along the lines of, we had Josh Allen with the same grade, but we prioritized the quarterback, which is the same line he used last year. We had the same grade on Darnold as we did Barkley, but we had a quarterback. So he's kind of contradicting himself, but just sticking with the pick for what it is. The Didn't Giants, he say something like he had, we'll, we'll see in like three years or something? Yeah, we'll see in two. Three years is fine for an evaluation, but then to say we're going to do the Packers thing and let him sit for three years, again, it's just raising more eyebrows than you need. All you have to do is say he's our guy move forward. And that, was, that wasn't a plan either. Eli Manning Favre, for three more years? How do you boys feel about well, that? Well, the Packers were just tired of Favre jerking them around, and they had this first-round quarterback that they eventually had to play. So yep. That's not a plan. Yep. That's not a model. How do you guys feel about Eli for three more years? Not great. I feel good about him right now. Oh, please. I thought you jumped off the Eli boat. You got off of it, remember? What else am I supposed to do? He had his highest completion percentage of his career last year. Oh, please. All right, let's move on to, unless you want to keep talking about this. Do you guys want to move on? No, to I think uh, we're going to get back to Daniel Jones when we go through the Jets and the Giants. So let's keep moving to what I think was just easily the steal of the top 10. Josh Allen falls to the Jaguars at nine. Got to give that an A+. Plus. Got to hurt if you're a Giants fan. Got to hurt. Let's, Good vibes. Let's Good give vibes. a team that's built around their defense, one of the best edge rushers in this class. He's going to help keep that energy. Um, a fractured locker room on the defensive side, as we've been seeing in questions with Ramsey and this, that, and the other. Josh Allen can come in as another defensive star on that defense that really didn't need a lot of help to be great again. They just need some energy. Josh Allen brings talent, brings energy, and brings a whole lot of pass rushing and a few more sacks to Saxonville. Next in Detroit, TJ Hawkinson. I gave that pick an A-. minus. I think that it's a pretty solid selection. There were a couple of other ways they could have gone, gone, excuse me, and tight end is just a slow-developing position. So to give a top-10 pick on that spot, which hasn't been done in about a decade or so, is just... It's a lot of value to invest in a position that hasn't always shown the highest returns when drafting this high. So it raises an eyebrow there. But the Lions, I think they're trying to just kind of build around that offense with Stafford, have some smash-mouth quality, but still give him the weapon. It makes sense as a pick, but it's not my favorite of this draft. Number I just nine, find it – I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just find it interesting that actually the uh, – 
the last time someone took a tight end in the top 10, it was actually Eric Ebron, Eric Ebron with the 10th pick by Detroit. So I don't know. Uh, he's on the Colts now, by the way. Yeah, he's <laughs> um, playing great for the Colts. I know he is, but it just it just makes me scratch my head that you guys that they're gonna do this again with a lottery pick when you don't want to be in the top ten, and you're just gonna mm-hmm. do it on a slow developing position again when there's other guys on the board. Absolutely, the highest, the most receiving yards that a rookie tight end had ever had. I think it doesn't even touch 800 yards. You know, you're not getting that instant impact player, and I'm honestly not sure how many years Patricia's gonna have if it takes another one or two for him. You know, with that franchise being what it's been, we've seen the overhaul that they go through again and again, which is why they're the Lions. But how long are you going to have to just wait on these picks to keep developing? I'm not really sure with them. Where um, else would you have gone if you were real fast with the with the Lions? You, you mentioned a couple other guys that you could have gone with. If Hawkinson at tight end isn't the pick, where would you have looked? Yeah, I think what the Bills did to get Ed Oliver, I think that would have been a great pick for them. I think that they could have used a little bit of work on the O-line as well. Jonah Williams would have been good. Chris Lindstrom would have been fine. But that's another spot to trade down. If you look at the clips from the Bills' war room, they were scared that the Lions were about to get Ed Oliver, and it seemed like a position they could have moved from. Uh, We saw what Denver did in trading back and trading around again to kind of reevaluate the board and get some pieces. The Lions just need talent, but they need it sooner than this. There's a lot of ways they could have gone. I'm just not a huge fan of taking a tight end that high. Yeah, very fair. So then you mentioned that Oliver Buffalo. He's the next guy. This seemed like the, an obvious pick, and Buffalo's defense is starting to look really freaking good. It absolutely is, and it looked great last year. They lost one major player in Kyle Williams. They replace him with Ed Oliver, slot him in, brings a better pass rush, gets to play his natural three technique instead of a nose guard. That pick gets an A and a well-earned one. Great job by the Bills to just wait and hope their guy falls. Very fair. I mean, I I think that, you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they seem like they really have a plan, and if Josh Allen progresses the way that it looks like he has, uh, or he can rather, based off his first year, they might actually have their first franchise quarterback in yep. forever, and now they're going to have a tremendous defense where they don't even have to put a lot of pressure on Allen to put up a lot of yards. That that offense yep. can squeak by with you know maybe like a Jacksonville of 2017 play you know play within themselves, score enough points, and let the defense just take over. Yeah, and being at the GM is just showing that he's got control over that board, control over the room, and uh, it's clearly showing that his abilities are strong when it comes to the draft process. But that uh, let's round out this top ten now. Pittsburgh Steelers actually made the trade up, gave up their first and an additional second and third so they could come up and take a linebacker. Now, you can question the value that they gave up in the trade. I'm kind of going to push the value of the trade aside and just go based on that pick. And I think for the pick, for the player, for the team, this is a perfect situation for all parties involved. The Steelers need that defensive leader. They need that defensive player who just takes over the game, can take over the locker room. And it's a locker room we've seen has some fracture in it. Devin Bush is all football, sideline to sideline. I love the player that they're bringing into the Steelers locker room. Yeah, you were really high on him in your French Five, mm-hmm. and it seemed like you know he was one of those guys that if he wasn't in the top ten, he was going to be the early part of that you know fifteen to eleven range. Great player, yeah. obviously at Michigan. Uh, I mean that defense has never been a problem there. It's always been about scoring points. 
go into the next mm-hmm. AFC North team as we start at number 11. Jonah Williams out of Alabama, offensive lineman taken. This seemed like a pretty obvious pick to me. I know when we were watching it, they had to address that offensive line, and uh, and they did here. Yeah, I gave this pick an A-. minus. The Bengals needed Devin Bush probably even more than the Steelers did, and we know exactly why the Steelers flipped up to 10 for him. But I do think that Jonah gets to step in, whether it's at guard or tackle. He's a day-one starter and is arguably the best lineman that they've got. Uh, I think that's a solid pick. If you can walk out of the draft in uh, day one and say, we have the best lineman that's on our team, you got some questions about your team, but you certainly shouldn't be questioning the pick that you made. At 12, the Packers take Rashawn Gary, the DN, D-tackle out of Michigan. I gave this pick a B. Gary really hasn't shown a lot of production in college. He's shown a ton of athleticism. And the Packers have spent so much money and already invested so heavily on their defense. It would have been nice if they could have given uh, Rodgers either a weapon or some protection or anything to work with, which is something they really didn't do throughout the draft. I did have Gary going in this area, but that was more projection than what I would have done myself. But he comes with a lot of upside, but a whole lot of questions about the production he's actually going to bring. At 13, the Dolphins took Christian Wilkins, the D-tackle out of Clemson. I gave this one a B plus. They still had a lot of questions to go, and we still didn't know anything about Rosen at the time. So I can't give them too much credit for not going with Dwayne Haskins at this point along with some of the other pieces. But Christian Wilkins steps into the middle of the defense where they'll now have you know, a building block kind of player, both D-line, linebacker, and then last year's draft pick, Minka Fitzpatrick, the safety from Alabama. They'll have a couple cornerstone pieces to build around. Uh, Wilkins is great at helping to collapse the pocket. He's a pretty solid run stuffer as well. At 14, Atlanta gets Chris Lidstrom. Had him going just a couple picks later in my mock, but I love the pick for Atlanta here. The number one thing that Atlanta had when they went to the Super Bowl a few years back was a strong and healthy offensive line with a solid run game. And that's something that they've been lacking for a little bit. Bringing Lidstrom in, and we'll talk about the pick that they have later on, I think that's really going to help not only solidify, but keep building a young line for Matt Ryan to stand behind for years. And at 15, the Washington Redskins got an A-plus for their pick. Dwayne Haskins, quarterback, Ohio State, number one QB on my board, comes off at 15. You can't go against any kind of value like that. They were in desperate need for a quarterback, and the best one in the draft fell to their laps. All right, Frenchie, we're gonna, I want to get into this pick before, it's gotta hurt, yeah. Sean. before Goodbye, we continue on down the line. i got to ask your opinion here. So Tom and I talked about this on our Monday rundown last week when we went through it. Mm-hmm. And so... My question to you is, I know Haskins was your number one, and you know he was my number one as well. Obvious A-plus here. Now, when mm-hmm. you talk about the Dolphins sitting there at 13, we didn't know about yeah. the Rosen but the Rosen situation. But what we did know is that now the Cardinals were handcuffed to, the, to Kyler being already picked and that they had to trade Rosen. Do you mm-hmm. believe that the reason they didn't take Haskins is because A, they knew Rosen was on their radar or that and B that they projected Rosen as a better quarterback than Haskins? And then secondarily, Washington didn't have to trade up. Uh, he Haskins fell right to them. So, and the mm-hmm. second second tier of this of this question is Maybe it, did teams not value Haskins nearly as high as you did, as I valued him as, and what we believed was going to happen into the draft? 
All right, well, two parts then. The first about the Dolphins. Uh, we know that we'd have to we The Dolphins would know that they have to trade Rosen at this point, yes. But you still can't be certain about the values that uh, Rosen may go for. All it took was one more team to really start pushing it up the board for him. That other team didn't show up. I think the next highest pick was probably going to be a second rounder for someone like the Chargers. And the Dolphins even traded back from the one that they had. Uh, there's also a conditional fourth attached to it, but let's be honest, that's really just a little extra filler for us to talk about next draft, to say, hey, this is the Josh Rosen extra pick. Uh, I think that the Dolphins definitely had that in mind, but let's be honest, this also is a low-risk play for the Dolphins, who are planning on just running with Ryan Fitzpatrick and looking at some of the 2020 quarterbacks. So they get to make that play there, which I think works out well for them. In terms of the Redskins, I think it's clear that the NFL didn't seem to value Haskins the same way we did. It's even said that the reason that the Redskins drafted Haskins was because the owner of the Redskins stepped in, took over the control room, and drafted Haskins on his demand because Haskins and his son went to the same high school. And that's another piece that's going to raise eyebrows, especially given the Redskins' drafting career. But he's still the top one on my board. I think he brings a lot to it. Um, there were some questions about mobility, athleticism. He's got baby fat on him, a few two starts. Uh, he still was my number one. Again, this wasn't the best quarterback draft class. A lot of them came with questions, but I think Haskins is going to step in day one starter. If not, he's going to step in after week three or four for Case Keenum uh, when the Redskins fans start screaming for him. But my projection is that he's as close to a week one starter as there is, aside from Kyler, because of the offense. The last piece I'll say, too, is that a lot of people, you brought up Mel Kuyper before, he and Todd McShay both spoke about the fact that if Josh Rosen came out in this draft, he'd be the number one rated quarterback on their board. Goes to show quarterbacks are a bit like cars. Once you drive them off the lot, value starts dropping. That's true of any draft pick here, but not so much or not nearly as true as it is for quarterbacks with any other. I think that we're seeing that Rosen kind of did show he had some flaws, but you know the best pick in the draft might have been that number 58, was it, that went from Miami to Arizona to get what was the top 10 player of the year before and potentially a franchise QB. Yeah, it, it was interesting because I, I had been thinking about that, you know, after everything that transpired did and – you know, for Washington to just be able to have him, you know, if they really needed him, if they really wanted him, I think mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have thought that they would have taken the chance of letting Miami pick him. They would have jumped to jumped over 13. So for him to just fall perfectly in their lap like that, I think that they were content at either believing that that was going to happen or say, OK, if he goes, it's no big deal and we'll we'll fix our quarterback problem elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely agree with you. All right, so number 16, I know this was a personal favorite of yours. Brian Burns, defensive end out of Florida, going to the Carolina Panthers. This seemed like a really good pick for them. Yeah, Brian Burns, um, I gave this one a B plus. Uh, Brian Burns, I do like him a lot, but this is a guy who's going to be a bit out of position. This is a guy used to playing stand-up who's about to get his hand in the dirt. This is a guy who's just a pure speed edge rusher, which Carolina does need in some respects. But they've also got issues in terms of stopping the run. They've got a couple issues across the board for a team that keeps hovering in that 500 area and really needs to step up. Uh, I do think Burns is going to come in and be one of their top sack leaders day one. But he does have a couple questions in terms of size, what he can do against the run, and a lot of other pieces that come with someone who's just pure speed off the edge. 17, 
Sean's Giants get their second pick of the draft. Uh, Dexter Lawrence. I gave this one a B-plus as well. Uh, I think that Lawrence is a really interesting selection. For them, it makes sense when you try to consider the teams that Gettleman wants to build. He wants to have just a strong run-stuffing piece. Dexter Lawrence will step in day one. He's one of the top three or four defensive players for the Giants. If you can get that at 17, I'd say that's damn fine value. There's a bit of a move away from those kind of run-stuffer behemoth types. When was the last time we've really seen someone on the defensive side of the ball weighing in at 330, 340, the way that Lawrence is? There's a question about how many downs he'll really play each game, but I do think he's more of a three-down D lineman than someone like Snacks Harrison was last year. He offers more in collapse into pocket than Snacks ever did. He's going to step in. The Giants run defense, that front three and that three-four when it comes to the third and ones, the third and twos, the second and twos, all those plays, is now B.J. Hill, Dalvin Tomlinson, and Dexter Lawrence clogging up the middle. And that's going to be damn tough for a lot of teams to run on especially when you're in a division with the Cowboys and when the Redskins somehow have this great offensive line that keeps churning out top running backs, everyone from Adrian Peterson to Alfred Morris's, you're going to need some people who can stop the run in the middle. Yeah, I agree. I was saying that to Tom too is, you know, I I think it was a clear point of concern for Gettleman that, you know, when you watch Ezekiel Elliott, he might not have that, you know, elusive kind of trait that Barkley does. But I tell you, I mean, watching the Giants-Cowboys games in the last few years, if anytime there's a third and two, third and three, third and one, he's getting that yardage because he's always piling forward. And Snacks was supposed to be the first line of defense in that, and he didn't really follow, follow through with that promise. So now you're getting a much younger athletic version of him. And like you said, with Tomlinson and Hill – that should be a really tough and formidable front three to for a running back to have to go through. Absolutely. And we could talk about what they still have and what they still lack on the edge. But when it comes to that third and one, fourth and run up the middle, uh, the Giants have to feel a heck of a lot better about how they're going to defend those pieces moving forward. Yeah, and that's a, that's a good thing. So how about Minnesota at 18 taking Garrett Bradbury, the center out of NC State? Oh, you know, this was another one of my draft darlings. Love Garrett Bradbury. Love the fit in Minnesota. Gave these boys an A. I think that he's going to be able to walk in and help solidify what's been a really shaky offensive line for Kirk Cousins. At 19, the Tennessee Titans got Jeffrey Simmons. I gave this one a B-. minus. This might be a pick like Jalen Smith, where later on we all look back and say, how'd he get so far down the line? But he's coming off an ACL injury. And even though there's a lot of issues that go into calling this an issue of assault, given the fact that he was doing this in originally to protect his mother, but then kept beating the woman while she was down and pulled off of his mother. So there are a lot of questions and really trying to determine what's happening. But he does have a couple concerns, both injury and off the field. Uh, at 20, the Denver Broncos got Noah Fant, the tight end from Iowa, gave this pick an A- minus as well. I think that Fant steps in, gives Flacco that weapon at tight end that he always needs. And it's not always the quickest developing position, but Fant plays a lot in slot. He's going to be able to get on the line and have that easy boot in that offense that they like to run, get that 10-yard out, let Flacco whip it to him, and just kind of run those similar pieces that Fant has enjoyed doing so much. 21, the Packers went with Darnell Savage Jr., that safety out of Maryland. Um, I'm a big fan of his as well. I talked about him towards the back end of my French five. He comes with a lot of speed and a lot of aggression. He can get beat over the top, 
but he's going to step in and be a difference maker for that defense. And when you're looking at the Packers, they spent this entire offseason doing a couple things. The first was trying to get smarter on the offensive side in hiring Matt LaFleur, and the next thing they tried to do was get tougher and just more talented on the defensive side, getting the talent of Rashawn Gary, the talent of Darnell Savage, and also with all of the pieces that they added from Zadarius Smith to Preston Smith as edge rushers for them. That defense is very much improved from where it was and hoping that just the mind between Lafleur, Rodgers, and what they've already got are going to be able to elevate it to the next level. Yeah, I was interested. I mean, obviously their defense has needed work for a long time, and they've been addressing that both via free agency and now early in the draft. I was surprised, though, to see this pick be another defensive guy. I really thought that they were going to go either skills positions or offensive linemen to help out Rodgers. And, and, you know, it proves to what you just said is that between LaFleur and Rodgers, they're going to roll with what they've got and, and believe that that's enough and, you know, they'll score enough points and – and be and be good enough offensively um, where you put a much improved defense on the field that they'll win a lot more games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that has to be the plan in Green Bay right now is to just be a smarter, more modern offense to get that in gear and just flood the defense with talent and let Mike Patton make it happen. All right, so let's move on to number 22, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles. They take Andre Diller, defensive tackle out of Washington State. Offensive tackle, Washington State. Yeah, Sorry, I couldn't read. So that. we got our offensive tackle. I gave this pick a B plus. He is a pure pass protector. He's a little bit raw. He's got a lot to learn, and most likely he's going to be sitting a year or two until uh, there's a retirement for Jason Peters, or there's another PED suspension for Lane Johnson. Otherwise, Diller's going to ride the bench, learn how to run block for the first time in his career, uh, and just kind of develop from there. Houston Texans shocked me with taking a guy I loved in the third round, but and just really surprised with him going at 23. So I had to give them a C plus. Titus Howard brings a lot. He brings aggression. He brings energy. He brings a lot of force coming out of his blocks. But this is a guy who didn't play at Alabama. This is Alabama State where he was a right tackle for most of his time, if not all of his time. And to put him in there as one of your lead guys, the 23rd pick in the draft, and the person that you may be depending on to protect Deshaun Watson's blind side, I think is going to be a lot asking of the young man. All right. So I guess we're going they, to Oakland they might have gotten, uh, They might have gotten Alabama confused with Alabama State with that pick. I don't know. Be the only explanation for my end. <laughs> All right, after that, we're going to the Oakland Raiders. They take the first running back off the board, Josh Jacobs, out of actually Alabama, not Alabama State. Yeah, this time, this time we have the real Alabama. Josh Jacobs goes. John Gruden has spent his whole time at the uh, ESPN views of the draft yelling at Mel Kuyper for Kuyper's diatribe against running backs. We knew that. Josh Jacobs was going to be going if he would last this far. I wasn't sure how long he'd be waiting to get called, but Josh Jacobs is a first-round running back. He's a great player. He brings a lot to the table, very few uh, treads taken off the tire. I think that being part of the Alabama backfield gives you a distinct advantage over a lot of other top running backs. It's that you come in with far fewer carries. And Josh Jacobs had the opportunity to show that he's a three-down back. He can affect the game in all facets, and he did it with a lot fewer carries than most running backs at this point. So I gave that pick an A-. minus. 
25, the Baltimore Ravens take Marquise Brown, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, gave this pick a B plus. The reason for that is a lot of what Baltimore wants to do is get the talent at the receiver right now in the draft. They've all got to do this with Lamar Jackson at quarterback because no wide receiver is going to want to come and play for a team that's planning on running the ball as often as any team since Tim Tebow was a quarterback. Marquise Brown brings a lot to the table, but he has so many injury concerns that I'm worried about some of the intermediate and short route inaccuracies put him at even higher risk than most offenses could. Lamar Jackson throws a better post than he does a five-yard out. And Marquise is going to be running a lot of those deep routes. But they're going to have to integrate some of those intermediate pieces in the offense. And having such a small target compared to some of the bigger receivers that were available, I think is a little bit concerning for the Ravens here. But he's just a heck of a talent. Quickest guy in the draft. Probably the fastest guy in the draft that we didn't get a chance to run a 40. So with the talent that he can still bring, they get a B-plus for that one. Washington Redskins jump back up here at 26 to get Montez Sweat. Supposedly, it was a heart condition that made Sweat fall like this. I don't have any kind of conclusion otherwise. I thought Sweat was a heck of a player. He flashes off the tape when you watch Mississippi State. Go see what he did against Jonah Williams in Alabama now and again. Um, still find a ways to get into a backfield that was tough to penetrate. I think Sweat's a great pick for the Redskins. Gave them an A for this one as well. So if you want a quick recap, that's an A-plus for Haskins and an A for Sweat. Two Redskins picks in the first which is weird hearing that Dan Snyder took over the draft room. Yeah, and that's after hearing that's what happened. So, um, you know, a little bit of credit there. We'll see how it all plays out during the season. That's the best part of the draft is we get our answers in a year or two or three, but they all come out. But Sweat right now is looking like a steal at 26. 27, we get our Raiders' final pick of the first round, if you can believe it. They took Jonathan Abram, hard-hitting safety, this overlaps with Carl Joseph, who they took a couple of years ago, I believe ninth overall. So look for him to get moved shortly after they've declined his fifth-year option. So if you've got a team looking for that kind of hard-hitting in-the-box safety, um, that's another spot for you to look. Jonathan Abram, though, has a lot of flash, a lot of pop. He tries to blow you up in the tackle. He tries to take your head off every time he hits you. Wants to win everything he can do. Didn't get a chance to perform at that combine with an arm injury. Um, but he's going to walk on the Raiders with an attitude. Hopefully it's more in line with the kinds of attitudes they're looking from their other selections and not some of the people that they brought in in the case of Vontez Burfitt and the rest. I uh, gave this pick a B+. The L.A. Chargers took Jerry Tillery, the defensive tackle from Notre Dame, Gave this pick an A-. It's just a solid pick for the Chargers to make. Uh, he's going to be able to sure up the middle of that line, that defensive line, which we saw get exploited by the Patriots during the playoffs. I think that's going to be key for the Chargers moving forward. And now they've got him in the middle. He's, they've got Derwin James in the middle. They've just got a lot of talent on what's already shown to be a good defense. My lowest grade of the first round is going to the Seattle Seahawks here with L.J. Collier, the defensive end out of TCU. Uh, most of the listeners who didn't pay attention to the draft or didn't stay up this late are probably hearing that name for the first time with fine reason. Um, he was a third-round player. Taking a third-round player here just shows the reach that they're trying to make. This is a clear pick to try and replace the value that they gave up in Frank Clark. Um, they traded Frank Clark to the Kansas City Chiefs, which is why the Seahawks are picking here. And it just shows that they were looking for a defensive end to replace Clark. Collier has no business being picked this high. 
this is just prioritizing the position and not at all the player. I mean, to me, it's, yeah, and, and, you know, I don't, I, I didn't get this because I feel like Seattle, especially when evaluating talent on the defensive end of the ball, they're, they're always one of the top. And I, when, when I heard LJ Collier's name be drafted, I didn't think that this was a guy that I was going to hear before day two. And I thought it was going to be later on in day two. Absolutely agree. And I'm, I would love to see the statistics if Google wouldn't mind showing them to me. I bet that more than any other player, LJ Collier was the most Googled player after they were drafted. Yeah. You and for, for good reason. If, if he's not a first round grade by, you know, any evaluation, I mean, especially a Seahawk team that's that's known for being very strong defensively, as I said before. You know, they, they mm-hmm. take a guy that, you know, in the first round, if you're, you'd at least, you'd at least like to know or hear of the player, there'd be some familiarity there if you're a fan. So when that doesn't happen, you've got to automatically be like, what the hell's going on? Absolutely. But this is a team that's never been afraid to reach for players that they loved before, even going back to last year. They took the running back out of San Diego State, Rashad Penny. That's right. Uh, late first as well so you know we'll see how it plays out for him but this was a real head scratcher to me all right so the giants made their traded up uh traded their second brown pick to get deandre baker the cornerback out of georgia they moved up to number 30 and i really like this pick as a giants fan and i know you did too yeah, I'm a big fan of this pick. Uh, in terms of my evaluation and where I would have had these players slotted, I probably would have flipped DeAndre Baker and Dexter Lawrence, and that's fine. If this is how it falls, this is how it falls. But I think DeAndre Baker fits what Betcher wants to do so well. He's really an instinctive player. He's a fluid player, and he has a great split between the zone that he's played and the man that he's played. So he's going to be able to come into a really complicated offense coming from what Kirby Smart has already coached him up in, which is a very complicated defense down at the University of Georgia. I think that he's a hard-hitting corner as far as corners can be hard-hitting. He's going to come up. He's going to wrap up when tackling is so key for a corner more today than it's ever been before. And he's going to provide a giant secondary with a lot of talent when it's been depleted of that for so long. Well, you just hit the nail. Isn't getting called back. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head because when you mentioned how, you know, pivotal uh, cornerback tackling is that had to be why greedy fell as far as he did. They used the term buffet style tackling. I know you mentioned that as well Mm -hmm. when you were doing your French five. And even though greedy, you still had as your number one, I don't, you know, you can't have a corner that's, has suspect tackling so to, to have a guy like deandre baker come in who is not afraid to tackle you don't have any questions about that part of his game something that's so essential in today's nfl as a secondary position uh yeah. that's something that you know gettleman obviously identified and said we have to have this guy and probably and why think- a lot of other teams let greedy fall to where he eventually did absolutely to build on that the fact is that it's not just Gettleman or the Giants or anybody who's saying that it doesn't matter what Greedy does if he can't tackle. And Greedy, even when he chooses to tackle, looks like a washcloth going down the window. You just throw it there and it slides right off. Look at him trying to tackle in the Alabama game. Slides right off of people. He's trying to you know, slap at their ankles. Um, if you just look at the order and the, these corners were drafted, it shows that what he brought in coverage, specifically man coverage, just isn't enough to make up for the other things that he lacked. Yeah, so Baker was the was a good choice right there, and, and now all of a sudden, you know, when we get to the Giants, we can talk about how their corners 
that position has, you know, really improved and in an exciting way very quickly. Let's round out the last yeah. two picks here, my man. Uh, Atlanta Falcons right. take Caleb McGarry, offensive tackle out of Washington at number 31. What would you think of this pick? Caleb McGarry, I gave this pick a B. Uh, he's a mountain of a man, but he's pretty raw. I think he's going to have to come in and wait his turn before he can take over. But when you're looking at someone at 6'7 who can move like he can, he doesn't have the smoothest hips, but he's going to bring a lot of power. I'm not going to be shocked if we don't see him come in, especially at the goal line. Someone who's going to be able to come in and replace the tight end for a little bit just to pack some extra punch when it comes to those short yard situations. Uh, and then at 32, Nikhil Harry, another one of my draft darlings. Of course, the Patriots go and get him. Anything the Patriots do, I'm going to think highly of with the way that they've drafted. Though they've struggled with receivers, and you have to take that into consideration when you're looking at the player. But I love Nikhil Harry going into the draft. I think he's going to fit perfectly in a lot of what they try and do. It was a real pro-style offense at Arizona State where he was catching balls before. He runs the intermediate routes. He runs the short pieces. He can run the fades. He has all of those kinds of skills that you're looking for, and he's never afraid to put his body on the line. Real team-first type of game that he brings. I think it's a perfect Patriot pick. Gave it an A-. minus. Yeah, and the second straight year, the Pats went skill position. They went with Sony Michelle last year in the back end of the first round, and they take in Kill Harry <laughs> here to wrap up the first round. And, and it just goes to show that even though it seems as though Belichick identifies those kind of players as replaceable, I mean, we've seen them churn out a bunch of different guys and turn you know, suspect players at best into all pros. They, yep. I, they know that they need to give Brady as much help as they can from those skills positions, and and Kel Harry was just a guy that it made so much sense. And again, like you said, I, I, I watched this pick with you. I was like, this is just such a perfect Patriots pick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, man. So the first round is done. You've given your grades, and now we're going to get into the locals. So we're going to lead with the New York Giants. We'll go round by round. We talked Daniel Jones a little bit, but we can talk more. Let's lead off with him. So Tom, trying to play antagonist, was saying about how do the Giant fans really believe Eli has more time? And I personally don't like to hear three years when you take a quarterback at six. To me, that says you have a plan of phasing out Eli after if this season goes wrong or for certain at the beginning of the 2020 season. I, I have been saying all along that I wanted the Giants to take a quarterback. I wanted them to do it in the first round. Obviously, I liked Haskins the most, but they took Jones. You can see why. I don't have to love it as long as it works out. But Eli Manning is a stopgap quarterback at this point is more than fine for me. I mean, the guy has had absolutely no protection that's been well-documented. The line did get better. I think he's a quarterback that plays better when you don't have to worry about getting a one receiver the ball all the time. You've got Saquon, who's going to help him out tremendously. You bring in a Golden Tate. You have a Sterling Shepard. And I have a feeling that Eli's going to have a pretty good year. But he's not the future. He's not somebody that you're going to be keeping around for two, three years. A Green Bay model, to me, that's not a model. As I said before, that ju- the Packers just got tired of Favre you know, faking retirement all the time, and they had this first rounder that they had to eventually play because there was no more seasoning for him. The Kansas City mm. mile model has been thrown out there. That seems to be more the comp right here. Go in with Eli, hope to be a playoff team. Jones sits all year. 
So I guess what I'm asking you is if Jones is the guy they identified as the guy, he's going to be the heir apparent. When does he come in and is it really predicated on how the Giants' first half of the season goes? Well, I think when we talk about the Kansas City model, I think it's cute that we've given it a name. But this used to just be what happened when you drafted a quarterback. There never used to be this rush to have them play, and now it seems like everybody has to. I think that it very much depends on how they go for this year. But we've seen that Gettleman is a proud man and that the Giants organization is proud as well. So I can't imagine that they're going to be rushing uh, to put a backup in. That being said, we've seen the Giants organization kind of fade to public pressure before during the whole Geno Smith debacle. So anything right now would surprise me and at the same time could still shock me. If I was projecting, I would say that it is very much dependent on how the Giants do this year. If they're in any sort of a playoff chase, I don't see them doing what they did with Eli back in 04, where even though they were right around 500 and in a playoff hunt, they still put Eli in after the bye week, only to go, what was it, 1-7 and seven afterwards? Yep. But I can't see that happening with Jones, given all the talk that Gettleman has had about keeping Eli and sitting these years for Jones and all of those pieces going back and forth. I also think that they're really in need having already had a lackluster year last year, if they fall off the back end of this and Daniel Jones shows that he's just not ready to step right in, then I think that there's going to be a lot of issues brought up by Giants fans, more so than if, led by Eli, they fall off or taper off at the end of the season. You know, if the Giants start the first eight games, two and six, then yeah, I'll see Jones coming in in the second half. But if they start off four and four, I, my guess would be that Eli gets to ride it out. Yeah, and my guess would be that if Eli is really not playing well or the team is struggling, you bring Jones in, but you know he's your guy going forward. At least that's what you've, you're claiming by making this pick. So mm-hmm. even if he really struggles and does you know, an imitation of 2004 Eli, which isn't win a game, look terrible, look lost to some respects, I think mm-hmm. the fan base is going to be overreactionary. But don't, you'll also have to say, listen, this is a bad team, clearly. So you can't. It doesn't matter who's playing quarterback, but you got to get. You got to let him take his lumps. You know, I think the best thing that the Jets did this year with Darnold was let him play. You know, it was supposed to be 16 games. He got hurt for a little bit there, but he he you know he rode it out and went through his bumps and and felt the rigors of an NFL season where you surround him with more talent. He's been there, done that. I think that was the whole point with Eli in 04 was. You know, Warner maybe could have gotten them to the playoffs, but Warner was not the future of that team. Let Eli take his lumps now. The next year they go 11-5 and and host a playoff game. Two years later they're they're hoisting the Lombardi. I could see something similar to that happening this year. I really could. Oh, my God. Like having a year where they're just, you know, they're going to turn it over to Jones and let him take his lumps. And if they think that that's going to improve their chances next year, where you don't have to throw them out for the first time in a in a meaningful game, you know, week one, twenty twenty. I hear your I hear your parallels that you're drawing to Eli Manning, but I just don't think Daniel Jones is Eli Manning. That's all. But they do. So that's yeah, I agree with you. And the parallels, I understand where you're coming from, everything, but me personally, I just don't think Daniel Jones is nearly the talent that Eli Manning is. Period. But if you but if we play revisionist history, I mean we we were young back then. There was no social media, you know, nearly to the point it is now. 
Eli could not have looked any worse. But he, he went a, first overall, so clearly there was some talent but there. But this is six, though. They There's a lot of talent there, they're saying, right, Frenchie? Like, they're saying you're a number, you're a top 10 talent. You're the second quarterback taken. Like, regardless. That's what the Giants Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. That's what the Giants think. I just don't feel the same way. I just think that he's he was a second-round quarterback. I hate to say it. Good vibes. Good vibes only. But... They took him six, and you got to hope that your plan is the plan. And their, well, obviously, their plan is the, the one that works out. And, and that's all it is at this I hope, point. I hate is, to put a damper on about things. the evaluation. But that's the thing, too, is like we've seen so many times, and you know we'll move on from Jones, but we've seen so many times where the quarterback taken, the guy everybody wanted, the guy that couldn't miss, turns out to be a bum. And the guy that nobody really cared about, nobody really, you know, talked that much about, had some doubts, had some questions, ended up being, you know, pro bowlers or, or Super Bowl winners. And again, with Daniel Jones, I don't need him as a Giants fan, and I think all other Giant fans would agree, I don't need him to be a, a perennial pro bowler. If he has the same career as Eli Manning winning two Super Bowls and having kind of a weird career where you always expect them to be better because of their pedigree, but he's not... I would still take that because, you know, Rivers is undeniably the better statistical quarterback than Eli. He's in the postseason much more than Eli. Guy, but he his career is going to be kind of empty because he doesn't have a he doesn't even have a Super Bowl appearance. You're right. It's it's really cute how you've done a complete 180 on this guy. But you I don't have, have a to. choice. You have to. Yeah. I understand that, you know, they take your they take a quarterback that you're really not happy about that I mean, one could say that was probably a mid-second round pick at best. Um, and, and a lot of guys just threw him in their top 100 because, you know, he, he was going to get drafted early. But listen, they took him, and he's on your team. There's nothing you could do. Good vibes, yeah, and, good vibes. And, and, Tom, you're not the only one saying that. Todd McShay, we've talked about the ESPN boys, had him, I think, ranked 58. Mel Kuyper had him right on the top 20. There's a lot of questions about him. Something to save the Giants fans, though. I've mentioned this a bit in the French Five. Um, just some positives on Daniel Jones before we get to the questions of what did he do and the rest of it. Daniel Jones didn't play with another draft pick his entire time at Duke. He's the best thrower on the run. He has some mobility, and he has prototypical size. Now, he's got a lot of questions, and there is a reason I had him ranked where I had him ranked. Go to sorrysports.com if you want to see the previous articles. But that boy, that boy. he does have a – got to have the plug – but he does have a couple pieces that the Giants can work with, and especially in a Pat Shermer offense that would be appealing to them. All right. Well, one can only hope. Good vibes to all you guys. Good energy. Giants fans certainly shit. can. Yeah. All that shit. I think there's a lot to say about how your rivals look at your picks. You know, if you think about how Cowboy fans felt when we took Daniel Jones or different pieces like that, I think that kind of speaks to the atmosphere as well. But the rest of the first round, like I said, where my value was, I had Baker as the mid-first and Lawrence as the late-first. They got both with two picks in those areas. I think that's pretty decent first round to take away the player you think is the quarterback of the future, along with two players that are going to walk in and be two of the top four players on your defense. Absolutely. So why don't we move on to the Giants' next pick after that since we're breaking down their draft altogether. Let's go for it. At 95, they took one of my favorite players in this draft, I just talked about the issues with taking L.J. Collier, the, the end that the Seahawks took as high as they did. 
I had O'Shane Ziminis, the defensive end out of Old Dominion, the first ever Old Dominion player to be drafted. I had Ziminis rated higher than I had Collier, who went in the first round. I think this is great value. It's someone who's going to walk in and be a part of the rotation. He's got quick hands. He's got a ton of moves. There's a lot of talk about him being in this area because of his lower competition that he played against. If he had a spectacular combine, he could have rose. He didn't. He was just above average, like you would expect someone. To get a value pick at the edge rush position right here at 95, where the Giants were in some serious need of them, I think is a great selection. I like that, too. I mean, the edge rusher, you know, even though this is a different defense, this has always been a staple of those Giants teams. And if they found a hidden gem in in round three, you've got to love that. In the fourth, they take cornerback Julian Love. What would you think of this pick here? A uh, big fan of this pick as well. If you go through the history of Gettleman drafts, I think he finds great value in the mid-range, even if he struggles pulling at the first. Biggest thing for me with these GMs, mid-round picks will make your career, but blowing first-round picks will break your career. And I think there's been more pressure put on Gettleman than there has in a GM for a long, long time now. But here at uh, 108, Julian Love was a spectacular pick. Great value. Most people had him as an early to mid uh, second round pick because of how often he played in zone and the fact that he was better in zone than man, as well as the depth that the Giants have at the cornerback position, something to talk about at the end of this segment. Uh, I could absolutely see Love being moved more towards a free safety role. Wraps up great in the tackle, which is something you need there, especially after Giants fans watched Curtis Riley have 37 missed tackles last year, which led the NFL. Truly I think atrocious. That's Curtis Riley was just an absolute sieve in the secondary last year, although he didn't give up much in the passing game. There's a reason he's no longer on the roster right now. Antoine Bethea is going to be starting at the free, but with the depth that the Giants now have at a corner, also drafting uh, Ballantyne later on, having taken Baker early. And let's not forget the reason that they were lacking their first third-round pick this year is because they used it in on drafting Sam Beal, the corner out of Western Michigan, last year during the supplemental draft. And I think he's someone else that they're still really high on and could absolutely come in and have some sort of impact. I'm sorry, Western Michigan. Yeah, Western, not Central Michigan. Um, so this is someone else who's going to come add some depth to that corner position where they're about to kind of replace everybody that they had before. So between Sam Beal, Julian Love, uh, DeAndre Baker, and then also Valentine, we've got four new corners really stepping into the lineup for the first time. And what's one of the most important positions on any defense and any team really has just got a lot of depth and talent that wasn't there before. Julian Love might get moved to free safety because of it, but he's someone I expect to make the move well. All right, so let's run through the uh, let's run through the last few rounds real quick, and then just give us a final grade on your on your Giants overall draft. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ryan Conley at one forty three, linebacker out of Wisconsin. Wouldn't have been mine. I had uh, Cashman, who the Jets took, actually higher on my board. But he's got some good quickness on tape, and he's someone used in multiple ways. we got a defensive coordinator in James Betcher who loves versatility, and that's what he's going to get in Conley. Darius Slayton, we've got a burner who's going to walk in as the number three or number four receiver. Had a couple issues with drops, but he's someone who adjusts to the ball well. He doesn't have a really deep tree, but he's someone who's going to be able to run the nine, run the post, run the corner, and also just have kind of those quick hitters that we see a lot in the bubble screens and a couple swings, things like that. 
Uh, Corey Ballantyne, first off at 180. Uh, wish him best of luck in the recovery he's had. That process has gone well, but also getting over the loss of a friend is always tough. Just as a player, I think he's been pretty damn good. I think he's someone who showed really well at the Senior Bowl. Uh, everybody talked about the first play of the Senior Bowl was the fastest corner against the fastest receiver, Corey Ballantyne, covering Terry McLaurin, whom the Redskins later on took, um, and McLaurin beat him. And people were wondering about the mentality that the small school kid was going to bring, and he had one of the best Senior Bowl weeks out of the uh, entire field there. He's someone on tape especially against big competition, I think came up pretty big. And that speed is going to find a place on this roster, um, even if for now it only stays in special teams. You know, it's a sixth-round pick. You're just looking for something. In the seventh round, uh, the tackle from Kentucky, George Asafo Ajay, or GAA as they're calling him, should get some nice opportunity as a depth lineman. He's got experience all the way across the line and also experience blocking Josh Allen four days a week in practice. Slayton, the D-tackle that they took at 245 from Syracuse. Um, this is a guy who I think could make the squad less than likely given all the players that they have there, but they like a little bit of quickness, even though he's pretty uh, weak once he gets stood up a little bit. All there right, was some so. good undrafted talent there, though. Um, but, you know, that's something just to add on a little bit later. Absolutely. So going through all the rounds and everything, <clears throat> taking out the undrafted talent, we'll, we'll count that yep. later. What's the grade? Yep. What's the grade here? I gave the Giants gave the Giants a B plus for this draft. I think it's going to come down to Jones, and because of that question, I couldn't put him in that A range. But they found two of the four best players on their defense on day one. On days two and three, they found two other guys who are going to be instant contributors in Love and in Ziminis. And they also found someone who's going to step in as an instant offensive weapon in Darius Slayton. Um, you could talk about the rest of it, but if you can come out of the offense with two, or out of the draft rather with someone who's going to be an impact player on both sides of the ball, a few starters and a few rotation guys, I'd call that a pretty good day. My biggest question coming out with them was about offensive tackle, but you got to hang on to the hope and the belief that Mike Remmers, the player from uh, the Minnesota Vikings, should be coming over shortly. He has a history with Gettleman and with uh, Shermer. Gettleman drafted him, and Shermer also coached him in Minnesota. Um, so that should finalize that remaining area of concern at right tackle there. And they also, um, just to throw these names out there as well, this doesn't affect my grade, neither did the Remmers piece, because I really would have liked to see them take a offensive lineman earlier than the seventh round. But two names to keep your eye on at training camp right now. C.J. Conrad, the tight end out of Kentucky. He's a classic blocking tight end with the ability to find some space a la Rhett Ellison, but for a lot cheaper and a lot younger. And another name is Eric Dungy. He's getting a lot of buzz. He was a quarterback at Syracuse, but they're using him as a tight end, and I expect them to use him almost like the way that the Saints have been using Taysom Hill as just a kind of do-it-all gadget kind of guy, someone come in and just kind of mix things up. And as you're also moving from – uh, the questions of pocket guy versus mobile guy and some of these having a couple gadget mix them up pieces just to get some easier yards I think would benefit them and just another name to keep an eye on. All right, so let's move on to the better New York team, the New York Jets. Um, and why well, the better, real quick about the better New York team. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez was talking about getting drafted by the Giants. 
And when he was explaining the story, he knew that the Giants were on the clock, but figured that meant that the pick was already made and the phone calls and the rest of it. So he moved on from thinking he was going to get to be a Giant, which was his dream growing up as a kid in Jersey. Um, so when he, the, his quote is that when he got the call, he saw it was a New York area code. And he, what he says is he assumed it was the Jets calling, but then found out it was New York calling. Just a little bit about his mentality on who the real I like New that. York. Well, I would be excited when I was a fan of the Giants when they were actually good back in the day, but we're in the now, so maybe he should educate himself. <laughs> the Jets on, won four games. Relax. Hey, baby boy Sam Darnold leading the team to the playoffs this year. So let's hear about the New York Jets. Good vibes, by the way, everybody. Good vibes. Stop yourself. Uh-huh. Let, let's move on to the New York Jets. So we already went over your number one pick, which I believe you gave an A to. Absolutely. Um, that yep. was a while ago, but let's break down their entire draft. A uh, few few less picks, so this one should be a little bit quicker, but why don't you jump on in yep. Um, yep. And, and start far, off with us. Absolutely. Far fewer picks here for the Jets, which is always going to affect how you're looking at the draft in total. But, you know, one of those picks is used to get Sam Darnold, who most Jets fans are still pretty thrilled about. So um, that first pick, Quinton Williams, again, only question is that he plays the same position as their other top defensive players. But when you're picking third overall, you just get the best damn player on the board. And that's what they did. They took the best player on their board and Quinton's going to have a hell of a career for them. Third round pick is where I start to have a couple questions about the Jets. They take Ja'Kai Polite at 68 and uh, offensive tackle Chume Adoga from uh, USC and Polite's from Florida. Uh, Adoga goes at 92. These are two players with some serious character questions. And for a team that's really trying to build up, I think that's a questionable move to do. But it could also be a way that we get some cheap talent for a lot easier. Um, Polite blamed other teams for looking at him and uh, reading wrong about his poor combine, as well as having a couple of character questions while at Florida. And Adoga was tossed out of a game recently for pushing a ref. Um, so these are two guys that could hit, and if one of them was going to hit, I would bet on Ja'Kai Polite. Um, you know, just questions generally about Adoga. And also, uh, Kajuste was on the board, um, the, who ended up going a couple picks later to the New England Patriots as an offensive tackle, who was higher on my board in my original mock to the Jets. At this pick, um, I think Adoga was a bit of a reach. Even though two positions of need were hit here, uh, I have some questions about the character issues. But, again, two guys with some talent. you got a couple other questions coming about there. In the fourth round, Jets took Trayvon Wesco, the tight end, out of West Virginia. Tom, love this pick. Love this pick. Hate it. And when we all think West Virginia, we think these big high pace offenses, you know, we're lighting up the scoreboard. The tight ends don't do that for West Virginia or for Rich Rodriguez offenses. This pick didn't make much sense to me. It's a blocking tight end when you either need receivers or blockers. Pick one. This felt very in between to me. If you need protection, you could take a lineman. Ben Powers, the guard from Oklahoma, was still there. Or if you want a receiving option, Riley Ridley was still on the board. The wide receiver of George- from Georgia and Calvin Ridley's younger brother, both of them were available. I thought they were better options. That doesn't make me feel good at all. Uh, let's move on to the next pick, which was their... Sixth, uh, fifth round pick, which is Blake Cashman. Blake Cashman. Here's a pick that should make you feel good. This was in, he was in my French five, and he got him at 157. Um, again, I have him higher than the linebacker that the Giants took when the Giants drafted the linebacker earlier. I think this is a nice value. 
He's going to find a way on his team. He's going to be a great special teams contributor, which is always a forgotten part by so many, but not by GMs this late in the draft. He comes in, high-character guy, loves the physicality of it. I think especially in the winter months, Cashman is going to set up. He doesn't have that sideline-to-sideline speed, but he's someone who's just going to walk in and fill gaps and meet running backs in the hole. In the sixth round, they took Blessing Austin, um, the corner out of Rutgers. And this is something that I think could be a sneaky great pick. Um, Blessing Austin actually has a lot of talent, and I think that talent still has time to show. He's someone who's dealt with some major injury concerns, major injury issues, rather. Uh, his knee's blown out twice in the last two years, which isn't oh, what good. you're looking for. But in the sixth round, you have someone who, if it panned out for him, could have been in the top day or two. It didn't. If he can get healthy, he's someone who should be able to contribute for him. And at 196, you know, you're just taking shots at people. You're throwing darts at the board and hoping that something can hit. Austin may not ever make a squad, but if he's healthy, he's someone who could have some impact for you. All right, so what's the overall grade? Let's hear it. Overall for the Jets, I gave the Jets a B-. Uh, again, Quentin Williams, I think, is a great player and is going to do some spectacular things for you in the middle there. Um, but I've got too many questions, especially in the third and fourth round, where you're really looking for some impact players. Yeah, and Polite could be that if, oh, he's, yeah, the if, he's, if he's okay and he really, like you said, if he hits, he's kind of a lottery ticket. He could be a premier talent at the linebacker position for a for Jet the, defense. As for the offensive lineman, I mean, sometimes the refs aren't giving you the calls and you just got to get in their face. You're a big fan of cheaters. I, I am. That's not cheating, but, I mean, listen, sometimes and, you need your message to be fine, heard. In terms of where the value was and the pieces that they took, I just I, I didn't have them as high. But I'll give you two more names to watch out for as uh, as the undrafted guys really start coming in. So these are two guys who couldn't be more oppositional in terms of you know just looking at two young men. The first one is Greg Dortch, a wide receiver out of Wake Forest. He's five seven. He's a quick hitter. He's a perfect slot guy. He's someone who's going to make moves. He's someone who's going to remind Jets fans of Wayne Corbett. Um, I think he's got a lot of wiggle to him, especially when he's starting to make those in-cuts, the quick slants. He's someone I think can make an impact on the squad. And Wyatt Miller, the offensive tackle from UCF, 6'4", classic size. And even though he still needs a lot of refinement in his game, he started day one at Central Florida. He has 47 starts to his name and has always played big for them. He could move inside to guard, but he's someone that I think is going to make it out of camp. All right, that's two things for me to look forward to, I guess. All right, before we let you go, real quick, give us uh, give us three teams that are losers, and then following that, give us your three winners of this draft. Oh, man, I feel like I should have a drum roll for this one. All right, Uh-oh. so uh, my third worst draft went to the Detroit Lions. Again, I've raised my questions with Hawkinson, um, but they really didn't do anything where they got someone with great talent, aside from Amani Orwari. I think that Orari is pretty good talent for where they got him. But again, this is a late pick. Isaac Nwaza is another late pick. Um, Will Harris really didn't, you know, flash on tape. So, um, Tavai, again, as a linebacker, doesn't flash. And coming from the schools that they came from, you know, you really expect a player who's going that high to show up a lot bigger than they did. I just think this was a really flat draft for the Lions, aside from Hawkinson. And tight ends going that high is always going to raise a eyebrow for fans, especially of the team who's already messed up taking them that high before. 
Uh, my second worst draft goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Jonah Williams, again, solid selection, but we know that they were hoping for Devin Bush, and they didn't pull the trigger to go up. The next pick that they took was a man by the name of Drew Sample. And it's nothing against Drew Sample per se, but the next players that went after him, a couple picks later, Lonnie Johnson was still there, who I had way higher. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the receiver. Um, Lonnie Johnson, or excuse me, Drew Sample going at 52. There's just so much more talent at other positions. And let's be honest, the Bengals are in a talent acquisition mode. None of their other picks really popped to me. So that's why I have them as the second worst. If anything, maybe Michael Jordan or Trayvon Williams could do something. But when you're starting with could do something and we're talking about fourth and fifth round guys. That's not what you want. Yeah, that, that's an issue in its own. Um, my worst draft of the day uh, is actually a team that I really admired for how they started but couldn't stand how they closed. Um, Seattle Seahawks, I think they had the worst draft of the day. I give them credit. They turned four picks into five picks into 11 picks, but those picks weren't used great. Having the numbers doesn't mean anything if you can't hit on them. Again, LJ Collier going in the first. I can't get over it. Marquise Blair was their next pick, the safety out of Utah. There were a lot of other safeties left on the board that I had higher. Um, their best pick, value-wise, was DK Metcalf, a guy that I've really been down on in different ways. But if you get someone like that at the bottom of the second round, I have to give you credit for what you did there. But aside from Metcalf, I don't see an impact starter, really potentially impact players from the Seahawks draft. Yeah, and that's not good because they just gave Russell Wilson his big contract extension, and they this is a win-now team and is going to be for the rest of his time there. So they have to get impact players in the draft. They have to hit on two or three you know, impact players every single, every single year from now on forward. And if they didn't do that – you know they're gonna they might be stuck in purgatory because I don't see how Russell Wilson has a better year than he just did taking a team that a lot of people projected to be a four win team as a playoff team. Yeah, especially with the looming retirement of Doug Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so that's uh, where they're hoping Metcalf comes in. Yeah, not the same player, but let's hope he can stay healthy. Period. Um, and that's that's always going to be a big question with him. Definitely. All right, so give us some winners. Let's end on a positive note. That's right. All positive vibes today. Good vibes. Good vibes only. My third best draft goes to the Denver Broncos. Um, They traded back, and they still got a top tight end in the draft for Flacco, and we know how much he needs the tight ends. Again, having Fant as more of a slot guy, I think, helps his development, whereas Hawkinson is way more of an inline guy. So I think the adjustment for Fant will be a bit easier. But it's also the next couple picks that they made that really make this draft shine. They got Dalton Reisner, who I love, glass-eating type of tackle. He's going to help sure up the line. And then they also got Drew Locke there in the second round, which I thought was great value. He's someone that they see as the future of the quarterback position for the Denver Broncos, and getting that in the second round I think is going to be great for them. It does kind of raise an eyebrow that the rest of the NFL kind of said, you know, we'll take a pass on him. But I think taking him in the second round, letting him sit behind Flacco, another big-arm QB, is going to do wonders for Locke's development. And then later on they also got the uh, D-tackle, Draymond Jones, from Ohio State, and I think he's someone who's going to be able to slip right in and start offering some impact for him. My second-best draft 
goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and it really comes down to their top three picks. They couldn't have done better with all of them. Josh Allen falls into their lap, steal of the day, keeps the energy of the defense high, brings more pass rush to a team that only, you know, had so few after having one of the best defenses in the league. He walks right in and starts making impacts and big hits day one. I had Juwan Taylor mock to them at number seven. They got Juwan Taylor in the second round. I think he's going to walk in, even though there are now questions coming out about why he dropped so far, being about uh, you know play IQ and different things like that. I think he's going to walk in and be the right tackle for that team day one. Uh, I think being able to get that at the start of day two is some pretty damn good value. And then Josh Oliver, I talked about him as a potential Jet. I think he's going to be great as an offensive weapon for Foles. While Foles didn't use the tight ends as often as we saw him uh, use, or as often as we saw Wentz use them in Philadelphia, if you can get a weapon like that, and Josh Oliver is an offensive weapon, I think doing that in the third round for your new quarterback is a pretty damn good option for you to take. And my best draft of the day. Here it is. Has to go to has to go to the Washington Redskins. This is insane to me. Start right off. You get Dwayne Haskins. Like it or not, and other teams can agree with me or not, but he's the number one QB on my board. You wait, and he falls to you at 15. They trade back into the first to get Montez Sweat, who is slipping because of a heart issue. Allegedly, it's similar to what Maurice Hurst had, but Maurice Hurst slipped all the way to the fifth and has also shown that he's been able to play damn well in spite of it all. Then later on, they get Terry McLaurin, who, again, great special teamer, but he's just a speedster, someone to, get, someone to Haskins can throw to. Another wide receiver they take, Kelvin Harmon, great value, the wide receiver from NC State. A lot of people had him uh, going higher than um, excuse me, going higher than he went. And then just another couple of death pieces there. I like Jimmy Moreland, the corner out of uh, – James Madison, but they also, in the middle of their picks, they got Bryce Love, who's shown a lot of talent, just needs to stay healthy and adjust to a bit more of a spread game than the smash mouth that he's running at a small size. And they also got Wes Martin at guard and Ross Pierschbacher, the center from Alabama for the last two years, as just some interior help there. I think that is just a spectacular draft that the Washington Redskins put together. Kudos to their front office. So I guess you would give them an A+. A plus. You can't do better than that. Possible A plus plus. If I offered them, but I'm not that kind of professor. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Dan <Okay>. Snyder, <laughs> if, if Dan Snyder took over the draft room and he's handling this and he's, you know, he can put his name on this. I mean, we could have just seen the best draft of an NFC East team in a long time. Absolutely, and let's draw a parallel. At, at least, at let's... least. In the last four years, since what? the Cowboys got their quarterback and an all-pro running back in the same draft. So right. This, Things this are looking up for me. Because talking about good vibes, I'm going to draw a parallel here. Dan Snyder, mm-hmm. possibly one of the the worst owners, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Let's, talk about, let's talk about another bad owner, James Dolan, right? Maybe James they get Dolan. the number one overall pick and they convince KD to come, and we're talking about how two of the worst owners led a team to a Super Bowl and then the next soon NBA championship – I mean, things are looking up. Look at you vibes. tie that together. Good energy. Good vibes. I'm not going to tear you down. So. Positivity. All right. Well, uh, thank you again for coming on, my friend. Um, that yeah, was awesome, man. Down. Thank you. I'll be sure to see you folks in a year. Absolutely, man. We will. Uh, maybe, maybe you could write a little bit during the season. I don't know if, if your fingers are ready to type. 
Yeah, hoping to. I'm hoping to get a couple of these pieces up, but definitely during this evening. I'll keep you updated on what to expect for the 2020 draft and, uh, you know, just a couple pieces to look out for, small school guys, big school guys, and the rest of the things uh, as we start moving into the college ball season. That'll be good because Tom hates college football, so we need to get him interested in looking at future Jets prospects early on. That'll be the only reason he's watching. Hey, whatever does it for you, Tom. Tom, Tom, Tom. All right, so we will be back later in the week with a Monday rundown, not on a Monday. Thanks for listening, everybody, and check out the website. We'll be running Mike's articles whenever they're ready to go, and Sean's got a new article coming up soon as well. All right, take care.